This is an audio sermon recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ in Alma, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth. We would love for you to worship with us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1808 Highway 71 North in Alma, Arkansas. As you can see from the title of our PowerPoint this morning, we're going to be visiting about the about encouraging one another daily. And my title comes from a few verses mentioned in Hebrews chapter 3. If you want to turn there, Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 13. The Hebrew writer says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily. While it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. You know, Satan, he doesn't take a nap, unfortunately. He is working every second of the day trying to destroy your soul and mine. See, he finds Clint's weaknesses. He finds what tempts Clint and what tempts you. And he starts marketing to that. He's a good salesman. He knows all of our weaknesses. And he knows if he can get us to sin once, then typically he can get us to sin twice. And on and on and on. And every time, unfortunately that we sin, our heart hardens just a little bit. And the more times that we sin, the more our heart hardens. And so if He can get our heart to harden, then you see, we don't look at sin like we should, as ugly and evil. We begin to like what we see in sin. And that's kind of how He gets us to start unbelieving in the Word of God. That's how He gets us to depart from God. And so this verse gives us an antidote. It gives us a cure to keep that from happening. He says, exhort one another every single day. That's the key. If we don't want our heart to harden, then we must exhort one another daily. You know, anytime you see this word exhort, it means very, it means a very, has a, has a similar meaning to encourage or comfort or to console. They all kind of come from the same uh, Greek root meaning. And what these words mean, what it means to exhort one another daily or to encourage one another daily is that you're going to stand beside someone else. I want you to picture this. You're not in front of another person directing them. You're beside them. And you're all going one direction. You're all walking towards heaven side by side together. And so what's going to happen when we live our, our lives side by side? We're going to know what struggles that each other is going to be going through. We're going to know the good times that each other is having. 
You see, in order to encourage someone, we have to walk beside someone in order so you can get to know them, so you'll know how to counsel them, how you can comfort them and encourage them. That is what this verse is saying. Do we need each other? Do we really? Can we just live kind of life by ourselves and get to heaven? I don't think we can. We need each other. Life is hard. You know, when we come parents, that's a hard thing to do. There are seasons in, in parenthood that you're just like, I have no idea what to do in this moment. And you're like, I can't do this. There are some seasons in our marriage when we're just like, I did not sign up for this. There are seasons in our marriage where it feels that way. Marriage is hard. There are certain times in our life when our health is going to decline. We're dying just a little bit every day, aren't we? What I could do last decade, I can't do this decade. And I know that my health is going to continue to decline. There's going to be periods of time when, when we have chronic illness. And you know what? We're going to need our brother and sister in Christ. We're going to lose loved ones. And you know, that's a void that cannot ever be filled again. We will never quite get over that. That's why we need each other. Do you remember the first two brothers in the Bible? Cain and Abel. They had very different personalities. You know, we all have, a lot of us have children here, and they have very different personalities. Some just have that willingness to obey everything you tell them to do. You're like, yes, <laughs> finally got an easy one. Well, that was Abel. <laughs> Abel had that mindset. He's like, yeah, I'll do what you say. Cain was a little bit different. He kind of had a rebellious tendency inside of him. He kind of had his own way of doing things, you know, his own little way of thinking. So God, you know, he comes to him one day and says, hey, I want you to commit an animal sacrifice for your sins. And so what does Abel do? He's the obeyer, right? So he's like, you bet, God, I got you. Well, Cain, he wasn't a rancher. He was a tiller of the ground. He was a kind of a farmer. And so instead of bringing an animal sacrifice, he brought some grain offerings. God did not accept that. And so what did this make Cain? It made him jealous because of his brother's righteousness. And we all know the story, don't we? That jealousy worked inside of, of Cain to the point that he took Abel's life. And the whole point of this is not to talk about these guys, but I want us to look at what God asked Cain. Remember the question he asked him? He's like, where is your brother Abel? Kids, do your parents ever ask questions that they know the answer to? <laughs> so does God. God knew that answer. He's like, where is Abel? He's like, I don't know. You don't know where Abel's at. He's like, God, am I my brother's keeper? We laugh about that because we often say that to each other. But that is a spirit that I want us to talk about just for a second. There's an attitude there that 
And all reality manifests itself in every single one of us. That's just the truth of the matter. Because you know what? My kids, they come before your kids. Sometimes that's just how it is, isn't it? My life is more important than your life. You know, I had to face Satan too. He's tough. And I know you have your own problems over there, but, you know, I've got mine too. No, that, that's the spirit of Cain. He doesn't care about anyone else but himself. And so that is something that we have got to make sure that we crucify in our lives. That spirit of Cain that lives within us, we have to crucify that. Because you know what? Your brother and sister in Christ cannot make it to heaven without you. You can't make it to heaven without your brother and sister. Because you know what? Satan wants us to live on an island. He wants us to live on an island Monday and Tuesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. He doesn't care if we come on Wednesday nights or Sunday morning, give each other a high five. How was your week? How are you doing, Clint? Everything is good. Everything is awesome. No, that's a lie, isn't it? Because I promise you, every single one of us here have struggles that we're going through. There are temptations that we cannot overcome. And you know what? We need each other. We need each other's accountability. And that's what this verse is talking about. We are not meant to live on islands. Monday, I need you. Tuesday, I need you. So let's look at this, this encouraging one another daily. Because that is not a suggestion, that is a commandment. And if you're anything like me, I am failing in that commandment. So this morning, the direction that we're going is we want to talk about a man that excelled in encouraging others. And so we want to look at his example. And then in the conclusion, in closing, we want to look at how that you and I can encourage one another daily. We're going to bring it home. So this first guy that we want to look at, his name is Joseph. Raise your hand if you've studied Joseph. <laughs> I got one hand. There may be some shy people out there. I don't know. So Joseph is one of those guys that, man, we can kind of overlook that guy. Who is that? What's neat about the scriptures is that nicknames, they were given to people. It may be that they had a characteristic that they had that, that, that manifested themselves, and they were just kind of known for that. You think about King David. What is he known for? Man, he had a heart like that of God. What a compliment. That was just a characteristic. That was him. You think about men like uh, Samson. What was he known for? He was known for strength, wasn't he? We think about Moses. The meekest man to ever live during his time. Wow. We think about, uh, remember James and John? They were the fishing partners of Peter. Remember what they were called, nicknamed? The Sons of Thunder. <laughs> That's pretty cool. But we're going to look at this guy whose name was Joseph. That was his given name by his parents. But that was not what he was called. And so that's why we don't recognize his name. What people called him was Barnabas. 
Barnabas. We've heard of that guy, haven't we? You know, the word bar, if we ever see that, that basically means that the son of. So he is the son of, and, and Nabus means encouragement or consolation. So he was the son of encouragement. That's what Barnabas means. That's a pretty cool. You know, Barnabas kind of comes on the scene, and man, he just knocks it out of the park from the very first time we see him in Acts. Basically what he does is there was a great need in Jerusalem. People were starving to death. They didn't have any shelter. And so, because uh, you've got all these converts that have come because of the day of Pentecost, and so they're like, what are we going to do? Barnabas says, I'll sell everything I've got and lay it at the apostles' feet. That's what he did. The scriptures say that he was full of the Holy Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit for? What does the Holy Spirit do for us? It comforts us, doesn't it? It comes by our side and counsels us and consoles us in our everyday life, doesn't it? And that's why Barnabas was such an encouragement because he was full of that. In order for us to be an encourager, we have to be full of that Holy Spirit. So this morning, there's a lot we could say about Barnabas. I could really nerd out, but we're going to look at two passages of Scripture. And the first one we want to look at is in Acts. So if you will, if you want to turn to Acts chapter 9, verses 26 through 27... And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So this is the first thing I want to look at when it comes to Barnabas, how he comes beside the Apostle Paul. Why did Paul need that? You remember when Paul was called Saul of Tarsus? Why was, why was his name changed? It was changed purposely. Because Saul of Tarsus was a different man. Saul of Tarsus was one of the most zealous Pharisees against Christianity. You see, there was not a house that was untouched by the Apostle Paul. If you believed in Jesus Christ, if you confess that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, you're going to be drugged out of your house and you're going to be thrown into prison. You may be beaten, you may be stoned like the beloved Stephen. Like with all zeal and passion, the Apostle Paul persecuted the church of God. And so he comes to these disciples in Jerusalem, this man that did these things, that probably, there were probably men there, or he may have drugged their parents to prison because they believed in Jesus Christ. And so he's coming there, and he says, hey, here I am, know me, love me, trust me. They're like, mm -mm. <laughs> no, I've heard about you. I've heard all about you. You could be very well a sheep in wolves' clothing, and you're trying to infiltrate the church and bring it to destruction. I've heard what you do to Christians. I don't trust you. 
And you kind of understand. You know, we look at that and we're like, man, they're kind of harsh. Here a guy just accepted Jesus Christ and they're like rejecting him. But we've seen the rest of the story, haven't we? They had not. So we understand the disciples' point of view here. But what about the Apostle Paul? You know, everything he did, he did it with good conscience. He felt like he was being a warrior for God. He felt like he was purifying the world. You see, he was not being accepted by his brothers and sisters in Christ. That would have been hard for him. Have we ever messed up so bad that people rejected us? Man, I have. That's a tough place to be. Paul messed up, and people rejected him. But not old Barnabas. And that's the point I want to make. He stood by his side at Jerusalem. He came in and said, guys, I know what you're thinking, but this guy's legit. He truly has accepted Jesus Christ, and he wants to be a laborer in the kingdom of God. We need to accept this man, embrace him, and entrust him. That's what, that's what Barnabas did. And not only that, but there was a, a little bit of time later that, that Barnabas goes to, to, to Paul's home there at Tarsus. Now, Tarsus, he's, he's like, Paul, what are you doing? Why are you here? Let's get to work. And so he takes him to a little place called Antioch. And, uh, you know, Barnabas had some connections there. He knew some people, had a little rapport there. And so they go to work there. And they're able to turn this city upside down. There were so many people that were coming to Jesus Christ. They're like, man, what do we call this movement? What do we call these people that are accepting Christ every day? How do I know? Let's call them Christians. What an exciting time. You know, I think about Barnabas. How many people did he touch? How many lives did he touch through the Apostle Paul because he stood beside him and helped the apostles and the disciples trust in Paul? Who knows? You know, Brother Kalen talked about the missionary journeys the other day. Man, the Apostle Paul did a lot of good things. I just wonder if he would have been that successful without Barnabas. But Barnabas, he stood beside him. He embraced him. He walked with him. And they did mighty things together. There's another instance in Acts chapter 15, if you want to turn there. Acts 15, verses 36 through 39. Luke writes, And some days after Paul said unto Barnabas, Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord. Let's see how they do. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought it not good to take him with them, who departed from them from Pamphylia. And he went not with them to the work. And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder, one from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed into Cyprus. We're pretty familiar with these verses, aren't we? I'd like to have been a fly on the wall <laughs> and heard the whole conversation here. We just have little bits and pieces of it. But boy, it gets my mind to, to traveling down some roads. But we have... Paul and Barnabas, they're co-workers together. And so they're chatting one day about the vision of the church and about some plans. They're trying to establish some plans. 
And, and Paul says, Barnabas, let's go to all the cities that we preach Jesus to and let's see how those churches are doing. Let's see how those brothers and sisters of Christ are faring. And he's like, sign me up. I'm the son of consolation. That's, 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 that's my jam. And so they start talking and then and Barnabas says something that Paul didn't like. He says, by the way, we're going to be taking John Mark with us. Paul says, oh, by the way, we will not be taking John Mark with us. He is the last man that will ever accompany me in the work of the Lord. Why did Paul say that? Well, you see, John Mark was probably a little bit younger than them, I would imagine. And uh, he accompanied them on a previous journey. And when the times got tough, you know what John Mark did? He went and ran home to his mother. That's Clint paraphrasing a little bit. He ran home to mama. I think, you know, it's, it's evident to me that he probably got wind of persecution that was about to take place. Because right after John Mark left Barnabas and Paul, you know what happened? They got rocks thrown at them. Almost stoned to death. I bet old John Mark got wind of that. And he's like, you know, I may not be cut out for this. And so he left. You know, there's a proverb that says, you know, if, our, if we fail in a day of adversity, that our strength is small. John Mark proved that he could not be accounted, accountable. He could not be trustworthy or dependable. And I understand Paul not wanting to take him because, you know, you need these assistants in this work. They, these were young men that were basically shadow under these more experienced men. And uh, they were very useful in the ministry. And John Mark let Paul down. He's like, I'm not taking him with me. Because where we're going is going to be dangerous. And we just can't, can't take him. But Barnabas didn't feel that way. I wonder what he said. Do you remember what we just studied? I know what I would have said if I was Barnabas. Hey, Paul, so let me, let me see if I'm understanding you correctly. So because John Mark messed up, you don't want to give him another chance. Is that right? Is that what I'm hearing? Do you remember, Paul, at Jerusalem when no one would trust you, that no one would accept you because of your mess-ups? And you remember how I came and said, hey, this guy can be trusted. You remember when I did that? That's what I would have said. I don't know if that's what he said. Nevertheless, Barnabas walked beside John Mark. He walked beside him and gave him counsel. He gave him things that he needed to hear. And you know what? It made all the difference. He gave him another chance and it made all the difference. How do I know that? Because the scriptures say it. Check this out. In Philemon 1 and 24, it says Marcus. Now, who's Marcus? That's John Mark. And Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers. This is Paul writing this, and he's saying that John Mark is his fellow laborer in Christ. Before this, years before this, he would have nothing to do with John Mark. And so there was change. Barnabas was able to help him. Colossians 4 and 10, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, salutes you, and Marcus, 
sister, son to Barnabas, touching whom ye have received commandments. If he come unto you, receive him. What? The Apostle Paul, who would have nothing to do with him, is saying, hey, I put my stamp of approval onto him. You accept him. He's a good man. Then in 2 Timothy 4.11 says, Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. Praise God for that. Barnabas walked beside John Mark. He gave him counsel that he needed to hear. He exhorted him. He comforted him. He was his advocate. And he brought him to spiritual maturity. And he was able to be super useful to Barnabas, to Paul, and even Peter writes about how John Mark was such an asset to him in the ministry. There is power in encouraging one another daily. And I wanted to share with you Barnabas because we all need to be like Barnabas. We all need to be like him, full of that Holy Spirit, looking for ways that we can encourage each other. You know, how do we, how do we bring this whole? How can we be like Barnabas? You know, we talked earlier about the hardening of the heart. Have we ever seen that in ourselves or maybe seen it in others? It happens very gradually. And all of a sudden, our brother and sister in Christ, we don't even recognize them because they, their heart has slowly hardened. And you know, the closer you are to God, the more ugly sin looks. And sometimes when we see someone that we love have a hardened heart, it is hard to love them. But you know what? We need to be a Barnabas and come alongside them because they need you more. They need you now more than ever. Sometimes we just kind of like, well, they're gone. That is not the attitude we are to have. Sometimes when we see good deeds... We need to encourage that. How many times? We're just not a thankful people. I hate that about me, and I hate that about us. It's like, man, we see people do good things that benefit us, and we don't even say thank you. In the last days, we will be an unthankful people. We are seeing that. When we see good deeds being take place, let's praise that. Let's encourage them in that. We all need to be patted on the back. We all need to be said, good job, man, keep that up. So when you see your brothers and sisters working in the kingdom of God, man, let's praise them for that. They need to hear it. What's, what are ways that we can encourage each other? You know, we talked about sickness, whether it be chronic or acute. Man, that is a time that we can walk beside someone because that is so discouraging. Our health is the greatest asset. You can talk to Jason Kelly about that. He sees it. And when it's gone, it's gone. We need each other in those dark days. You know, a way that we can encourage one another is attending worship. You know, Hebrews 10, 25 through 26 talks about do not forsake the assembly of the saints. Because what happens is you discourage your brothers and sisters in Christ when you're not there. 
When you're there, you're telling your brothers and sisters in Christ that worship is the most important thing in my life. God is the most important thing in my life, and you are the most important thing in my life. And I'm here to walk beside you in that. Because when we're not here, what happens? We discourage our brethren. Hospitality is a, is a good way to show encouragement to others. You know, when you bring someone into your home and you share your oasis with them, and when you bring them your food and, and your drink, and you make the conversation about them, you see encouragement is inevitable. Ways that we can encourage each other is provoking to good works. You know, Jesus Christ is the head, and we make up the body. Did you know that every part in your body has a function? And if there are parts in this body that aren't functioning, we will lose them. And so looking for, for ways that we can provoke each other to good work, seeing people's talents and like, man, you would be really good at this. Why don't you come alongside me and do this with me? That is a way that we can encourage each other. And we can go on and on this morning. I think we all have that, that moral understanding of how to encourage one another. But the problem is we've got to crucify that spirit of Cain and be thinking about others more than ourselves. The last verse in closing, I think this picture kind of says it all. This is how we want to live our lives. With our hands, our arms on our brothers and sisters in Christ, walking side by side, marching to heaven and living life together so that we can encourage one another and build each other up. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 11. You've been such a kind audience this morning. Jesus Christ came so that we could be comforted. He was the greatest encourager of any other man. Way more encouraging than Barnabas because he gave his own life. And so this morning, if you would like the prayers of the church, let's remember that this is a hospital for sinners. It is not a museum for the righteous. We are all sinners. We are all struggling with something. And if you are just feel beside yourself and need the prayers of the church, that's what we're here for. Put our arms around each other and to pray for one another. Or if you would like to obey the gospel and be part of this body that's got each other's back, what an exciting time for you. Come now as we stand and sing. We hope you have enjoyed this message recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ. If you have questions concerning this message or would like to set up a study, please call 479 647 2658. May God bless you.